0: It's very interesting that certainly um, we all know what kaddish is, or we, we have an idea what kaddish is. It's very, very interesting that ABMC staff have a sense that kaddish is a Jewish thing that's under the grave. <clears throat> Guests very often have a sense that it's a Jewish thing that's under the grave. We were in Epinal Cemetery um, uh, last April, and it's a beautiful custom of the locals who are very dedicated to preserving the the memories of American soldiers, um, all wanted to say Kaddish. They they knew this was something important. They didn't know why. They knew it was important and they they all insist on having a copy of Kaddish and saying it. It's really very, very, very touching. The fact is, Kaddish has a big history. It's very important. And what I'd like to do so that we have a deeper understanding of it is invite Rabbi Shafter up here to, um, to teach us. So, please do. Thank you. So good evening, everyone, and uh, thank you, Rav for, for all of the logistical planning that went into this wonderful trip, and it's a real pleasure to be here together with this really special, special group. Um, so Shalom asked that I speak a little bit about Kaddish, and as I um, as I understand that we're all going to be saying Kaddish together tomorrow, uh, which is something that is unique, it's something that is special, and it's something that gives us the opportunity to... Do together as a group, together with all those who are going to be joining us in the cemetery as well. So what's the story with Kaddish? Where does this come from? What's the origin? And where did it come to be that Kaddish became a, a knee-jerk reaction and something that is synonymous to somebody who suffers a loss? What is the connection between those two experiences? So the story really begins, the Aruch HaShulchan writes that when the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, There was a tremendous sense of emptiness, of a spiritual void in the world. And when that happened, the Beis Mikdash, as we know, served as the focal point for the Jewish people. It was the spiritual epicenter of Jewish life. And after its destruction, obviously, that was an experience that was very much lacking. So the Arafel HaShulchum suggests that as a modest attempt to try to restore, to try to bring back that heightened sense of spirituality in the world, that is where the concept of Kaddish was created, and that is where the whole idea was formulated. It was all as a response, as a reaction to the destruction of the Beis HaMikdesh. There's a very detailed description in the end of Masakha Sota, where the Gemara tells us about all the negative downward spiral of the world. As the world continues to develop, so the Gemara gives a description about all different things that are going to be happening as things continue to move on. And we don't need to get into all the details, it's not necessary for now, but what's fascinating is if you actually look it up, Daph Yom is almost there, if you actually look it up, Daph Mem the last Gemara Mestafa Sotah, actually describes so many different things that we see playing out in front of our eyes. It's fascinating to see it. But the Gemara then says, Every day, the world just keeps degenerating. It's getting worse and worse, and more profane than the day before. So the Gemara says, if this is the description that we all have for where our world is holding, and if you just forecast into the future and you see that it's only going to get worse, then how does the world actually exist? How does God allow this world to continue to sustain itself? And the answer the Gemara gives is akidusha rabba da The two reasons why God continues to sustain the world, although the world is wonderful, and there's a lot of great things going on, but there's so much of a terrible history in our world. So the Gemara tells us that the reason why God feels it's still worthy of the world continuing to be sustained is because, number one, we have the opportunity to say kedusha, and number two, because we say Kaddish. What's fascinating is, when you think about both of those, these are two major highlights of our dominion that are very different from each other. In some ways very similar, but in some ways very different. When you talk about kedusha, the Gesher Achaim rites, it's a sefer on so he has a whole section about kaddish and different aspects that are relevant to what we're discussing. But he says you'll notice in kedusha what we say is we want to elevate to sanctify the name of God. The same way that the heavenly angels are given the opportunity to sanctify God's name as well. That's what we are trying to do, and in fact the words and the phrases that we use are borrowed terms from. What we understand, the angels in heaven say to God himself. So we say, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Sevakos. This is something that's an otherworldly experience that we are trying to recreate, that we are trying to reenact when we say those words. On the other hand, when we say Kaddish, Kaddish is considered to be even more special. How so? Kaddish, Tosis points out, is recited in Aramaic which may make it very difficult for some of us, which is why we should stand next to each other so that we can all help each other out as we're saying the Kaddish. But Kaddish was specifically designed to be said in Aramaic, in the vernacular of the time when it was instituted. Why is that? Because what we're trying to emphasize with that formulation of Kaddish is that wherever we may be in the world, we don't need to recreate an otherworldly experience that is only... Subject to the angels and their kind of relationship with God. When we recite Kaddish in the vernacular, what we're trying to emphasize is we have the opportunity to bring glory to the name of God wherever we are. Even if we're in exile, and even when the Jewish people are not where they should be in their ultimate destiny, and even when we don't have a Besamigdash, and we're not living in the temple, and we don't have the Hebrew language being spoken by all Jews all over the world, still, we all have the opportunity to be able, as diaspora Jews, To take a very mundane experience of the world that we live in, an earthly experience, and somehow figure out how to elevate it. And that is what is special about the formulation of Kach. We're not trying to be like angels, we're trying to be human beings who understand that through the experience of life, we are given tremendous opportunities to bring honor and glory to the name of God himself. So the Gemara tells us that when the Beshamikdash was destroyed, I know everyone's exhausted. So we'll, we'll take another couple of minutes. The Gemara of Sefas tells us that when the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, as we mentioned, there was a spiritual void in the world. But that was something that was not only felt by the Jewish community. The Gemara surprisingly says that God himself <clears throat> felt a tremendous void as well. He no longer had a space for his uh, divine presence to be in its designated place any longer. And there's something that was extremely lacking. And the Gemara says that God himself takes comfort when Kaddish is recited it is not only for us to be able to recreate something, but it's also that it gives comfort to God himself. So obviously, Kaddish is something that is very important and very significant, both in terms of our relationship with God, in terms of his relationship with us, and that reciprocity that we feel. But at the same time, we do need to still explain what is the connection between Kaddish and the loss of a loved one. How do those come to be connected to one another? All we've explained until now is, That Kaddish was formulated, Kaddish was instituted as a response, as a reaction to a lack of Besam Amigdash after the temple was destroyed. But how did that then go further to become something that is relevant to the situation that we will all be facing tomorrow and that many people face in a personal level with the loss of their loved ones? We begin the Kaddish by saying... Yiskadel Yiskadash, or Yiskadel yiskadesh I don't know how it's, how it's listed there but whatever it may be we begin with the first words which really are a borrowed term from the Navi Yechezkel. The Prophet Yechezkel when he's describing a utopian and idealist world in Akrisayamin, in the end of days that is really the way he describes it because that is the vision. The vision is that there will come a time when the full glory of God will be restored to our world. I often ask high school kids in our community, we talk about Mashiach, we all want Mashiach to come, we want the end of days, why? I always ask, why do you want Mashiach? What do you think is going to happen when Mashiach comes? So they all have their own imaginations of why they think we want Mashiach. So some people say because we have so many sick people in the world and maybe when Mashiach comes, no one's going to be sick anymore. Anyone in the room a doctor? Amazing. That is... Amazing and frightening at the same time. About God will after us. We have a nurse. Okay. We have a nurse. A nurse. What do you plan to do after Mashiach comes? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not answering that question. Really answer. so, answer that one. So do we honestly believe that no one's going to get sick anymore? Is that true? Some people work very, very hard and they say, you oh, it's so hard to work and to live this kind of life. Do we believe that when Mashiach comes no one's going to work anymore? Is that really what's going to happen? money's going to fall from the trees, life's going to be simple, everything's going to be easy, no tragedy anymore. Is that really what's going to happen at the times of the coming of Mashiach? I don't know. The Ramam writes that the coming of Mashiach and that whole experience that we talk about incessantly is something that we won't understand until it actually happens. It's impossible for anyone to really have... And the he does mention there won't be any change in the natural order of anything as well. There's a reason I didn't say that because that's a big discussion in the (laughs) (laughs) Rishon. But the Ramam does say, we don't need to get complicated, we can keep it simple. What the Ramam does say is, this is one of the experiences that we really don't know how exactly to feel about it because we don't know what it's going to be. So why do we want Mashiach to come? Why is it so important? Why is this something that we speak about more than anything else? So the Dubna Magid writes a fascinating mashal where he says that there was a child who was invited to a wedding for the first time. And he doesn't really know what to expect. He walks into this magnificent room and he sees that there's a long aisle down the middle, people sitting on both sides. He walks straight down the aisle he sees a canopy at the very end. And there's a young man, a young woman, standing under the canopy. He walks up to the man, he taps him on the shoulder and he says, you know, everybody here seems very happy, but you, for some reason, you seem much more excited than everybody else. You <laughs> tell me why. And the young man says, well, I'm the groom." Of course I'm very happy. I'm the chaser. The child says, I beg your pardon, but I really don't know what that means. I've never been to anything like this. I really don't have an understanding of what what I'm doing here. So he says, well, you know, never in my life have I worn a tuxedo. And I just, I feel amazing wearing this. And I went a couple of weeks ago to buy this very expensive pair of shoes. And do you see these cufflinks that I was given as a gift? I, I, I just, I feel so amazing. Look at all this food we have out here. It's an unbelievable feeling. I'm really excited. Okay. Turns to the young woman standing next to him and he says, You know, it's my first time at such a wedding. I don't really understand what I'm doing here. All the women who are here (coughs) seem very happy, but you seem to be on a different cloud than the rest of them. Can you explain why? She says, Well, I'm the bride. I'm the Kaaba. So he says, Well, what does that mean? Do you know that I came here at 4 o'clock in the morning to have my makeup? (laughs) They started working on my hair. For the last six months, I've been designing a gown exactly the way I want it to be custom-made. I keep going for the fittings. This jewelry that I'm wearing, I feel like a princess. It's an amazing feeling. Why shouldn't I be happy? So the Dubna Maga writes, how long do you think that marriage is going to last? (laughs) If at the moment of their most exciting commitment to each other, all they're thinking about is the tuxedo and the shoes and the gown and the food and everything else that comes along with the wedding, all the trappings, which, of course, are essential to the celebration of a wedding. Never have we been to a wedding where the Calvary doesn't wear a gown. Yes, somebody's going to say, I was one said, okay. But that's not the norm. <laughs> we go to weddings, and there's food, and there's a gown, and there's music, and it's very exciting. And all of those are part of the experience, but that's not the essence of what it is. So what is it that we talk about when Mashiach will come? Why do we want that moment in Jewish history? The answer is, the Neviim the Prophets tell us, Sos asiz Hashem." Have the opportunity to once again rejoice and be reunited with God Himself. That's why I want a gula. That's why I want to come to Akhrasayam. That's why I want Mashiach. Are all the other things going to come along with it? Perhaps. Will money be falling from the trees and no one's ever going to be sick again and we won't have to work? Maybe. Maybe. All of that is yet to be seen. But those are all the ancillary parts of the coming of Mashiach. Those are not the essence of why we want Mashiach to come. So that is the description that the Neviim give. Why is this such an auspicious time when Mashiach will come? Why do we look forward to this? Because, Shemei Because God's essence will finally become clear to us. We'll have the opportunity to be reunited with Him, which is what the Neviim say, We're going to come to a time when everywhere you turn. There will be such a clarity of purpose, a clarity of vision, a clarity of understanding. And this relationship will be reunited once again after so many years of being separated. But I'd like to share with you a very, very meaningful, powerful idea that I saw from Rabbi Dr. Norman Lamb, who, even if Shalom was not here, I feel... A tremendous connection to Rabbi Lam. I learned so much from him in my years in YU and from his relationship with my family. It was something that I continue to be inspired by all the time. And Rabbi Lam writes something that to me really gives an entirely different perspective on why Kaddish is so significant at this moment. And he says that when we talk about this whole idea, which is really, as we said, a borrowed term from the Navi Yecheskiah. We ask ourselves, well, generally when we talk about the concept of a Kiddush Hashem, Kiddush Hashem generally, or colloquially, is used as, I am a representative of God, there are many people who judge God by the way they see my interactions with others, and therefore I have to be very careful about what I do and what perhaps I do not do. (laughs) V'nekdashhti b'soch b'nei Yisrael. Which is fascinating, because many people say, oh, don't make chil Hashem when you go out into the world and you see those who are not from your faith. The original passage says, You have to make sure that your interactions with other Jews are the way they should be. Because all of that is a representation of God, and God will be judged by your behavior. That's the way we generally think about a kiddush Hashem. However... What's fascinating is, the Nebuchadnezzar gives us a completely different aspect of what Kiddush and Chil Hashem actually means. And what he says is that, basically, the world understands that God made an eternal promise to the Jewish people that they will forever be here, that He will always be with them. The Yeshai writes, Al-Tirah Ani." Don't fear, because I, God, am with you at all times. Netzach Yisrael lo Yishaker, the Navi says. The future, the eternal nature of the Jewish people will always be something that can be relied upon. The Jewish people will never disappear. Jewish people will always be here. Now the problem is that although that is the case, and we've seen that history has proven that to be the case, there are times in Jewish history when it has been challenged. When we look around the world... And we ask ourselves, is God really here? <clears throat> Does God really care about his promise to the Jewish people? And if he did, how would he allow this circumstance to unfold? Which is the question that Yeheskel Hanavi asked at the time of the destruction of the Beis Hamidash, when he said that as the Jews were being sent out of Yerushalayim, as the Jews were being sent into the exile, he said that this is referred to as by Vayichalelu as Shein Kadshii, That is the greatest Chilol Hashem. That is the greatest desecration of God's name. Be'emar lahem. Because all the nations of the world were looking at the Jews at that time and they said that if this is the nation of God, may artzo yatzel, God allowed his own nation to be taken out of his land, which is supposed to be destined for them, obviously God's promise to the Jewish people is not a reality. That is a new concept of Chilol Hashem. It's not that we do something that maybe gives a negative perspective on God, but it's that God did or did not do something that makes people judge Him negatively. And that is what al Hashem means in that context that the Navi describes. Now we understand, now we can understand what the relation is between one who goes through a devastating loss and what it is that we try to do when we recite Kaddish. We live life, and we believe. Tov HaShem HaKol. We say it every day. God is good to everyone. God, when He created the world, said, Everything's great. And yet we look around the world, and there are many things we can point to, many experiences, personally and nationally, that we can turn to and say, this is not good. So we have this inner conflict. We say God is wonderful and God is gracious and God is kind and God is always looking out for us and He's Tov HaShem Rako, and yet it doesn't seem that way. It's just not the case. It doesn't always turn out to be that we can say with full confidence Tov HaShem Rako. And the same way the nations of the world, at the time of the destruction of the Beis Amigdash, turned around and said, This is a desecration of God's name because it looks like He's no longer involved it looks like his promise is not being fulfilled, we turn around and say the same thing about our own lives. That we wonder, how is it possible that God is the Almighty, who loves us so much and who cares about every human being, and yet he allows this to happen? It's the greatest desecration of God's name in our lives as well. We ask it on a personal level, the same way the nations of the world asked it on a national level, when we were being sent into exile. And what we ask when we say Kaddish is, we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we ask God Himself to bring back the glory of His own name, yis-kadel Shemei Rabbah. Allow us to have a perspective as we grapple, as we are challenged, as we're trying to figure out how to make sense of all that we see and all that we experience. And to us, it really does not make sense at all. And we don't see how it fits into this puzzle of God in the world. We are now trying to rectify that Chil Hashem that, so to speak, God Himself has brought about through the way that He makes the experiences of our lives unfold. And it is therefore that we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to restore and to repair His own name, that it should be elevated. And this is something that is so meaningful to us as we say, say kadish and as we think about what it is that we try to accomplish by the words of Kadish. The most fundamental words of Kaddish are Be'alma Dibira Kerimusei where we humbly submit in Aramaic to believe in a God that runs this world the way he wishes to do so. We live in a world that runs based on his wishes, and that is the greatest act of submission we can have. It's a difficult statement to make, especially at a time when the world seems upside down and chaotic to us, as we're going through a tragedy, as we're going through something and we're confronting evil. We're confronting death, and we're confronting something that's difficult to understand why and how God does it. It's at that moment that we turn around and we say, we understand that we inhabit a world that runs solely based on your perspectives, based on the way you want it to be. And that is why Kaddish is so, so powerful. There's so much more to say, and I know the hour is late, so let me just close with one thought, and that is, if we... I firmly believe that by saying Kaddish, we will have the opportunity to restore and to repair and to allow for God to once again come into the world in his full glory and bring us back to a time where we won't have these questions any longer. Perhaps there's an opportunity for us to think about that demand for ourselves as well. We cannot stop death from happening, it is the inevitable. We cannot always get in the way of evil. Sometimes there are people and there are evils and atrocities in the world that will happen, whether or not we like it, whether or not we've stood up against it. Sometimes they happen, or oftentimes they happen. But what we do have the opportunity to do is to say that we will bring back glory into the world by improving life, by reducing the power of evil as much as we possibly can as individuals. And as we demand that from HaKadosh Baruch perhaps we have the opportunity to demand it of ourselves as well. When the Navi describes what will happen in the end of days, one phrase that jumps out at me is, Ki ayin baayin yiru b'shuv Hashem which simply translated means, when our eyes will meet up again when God returns to Yerushalayim, to Israel. Perhaps what it means on a deeper level is not just that we'll meet up again and we'll be reunited, but ki ayin baayin, maybe our perspective, and God's perspective, We'll meet up once again. We will have the opportunity to have an understanding of why God, in His perspective, chooses and chose and has chosen to do all the things that He did, to run the world in the way that He chose to do so. Something that is so far and distant from our level of perspective and understanding, that's what we pray for. And that, perhaps, is why in our dominating every day we say, zena not just that we should come back to Israel, not just that we should return, but that our perspective, our understanding should once again be matched up with that of God himself. This and so much more is what we will do tomorrow and it's an opportunity that we have to really, as has been said before, to really be involved in a chesed to try to restore justice into the world and to bring glory back to the Jewish people as we identify a Jew who has been misidentified and especially at a time where plenty of Jews in our own communities do not fully appreciate what it means to have and uphold the Jewish identity, what a blessing and a gift that it is for us to come across the world, to have the opportunity to show ourselves how much Jewish identity is supposed to mean for all of us and for our communities. So Laila Tell everyone. Thank you. <laughs>